Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick, and we are back. And I'm excited about this one because, as most of you know, other than coyote hunting, baseball is uh, my next closest love that I have, I guess, of, of things I like to do. Um, got a special guest on this one, Bryce Elder with the Atlanta Braves. Um, the more and more I search the internet, search Instagram, I, I find that, you know, a lot of these guys love hunting coyotes, you know, so it's just, uh, it's something cool to me. I'm like, man, if, you know, these guys um, that are in positions like they are in professional sports and they love to do what we all love to do and hunt coyotes, I find it just fascinating, I guess. Um, so um, it'll be fun getting him on here. Um, obviously, I have some baseball questions, so hopefully you don't get too bored with my uh, my baseball related stuff. But, you know, we're going to get to know know him a little bit better you know, his path and, uh, you know, ultimately get some of his coyote hunting stories too out of him. So should be a good one. But, uh, before we get into this, I need to thank the sponsors of this episode, which are Sig Sauer Optics and Onyx Hunt. Now I'm still running the, uh, the Sierra six BDX, you know, I'm, I get questions about that, you know, what optic I'm running. Um, you know, I run a lot of magnification. You know, I, I run the Sierra six, the five to 30 by 56, now that's a lot, you know, meaning, you know, five is my low end, 30 is my high end on the magnification. That may be a lot for you. For me, that's just what I've always ran. That's what I'm comfortable with. Um, you know, so I think when it comes to the power of optics that you're running, it's really all about your personal preference, you know, whether you run a three by nine or a four to 12, you know, nowadays with these, you know, three, four, five, six X scopes, you know, where you can run like a five to 30, you know, even a four to 16 or, or whatever, um, that gives us a lot more options as well because we can have that low end, but we can also have the high end magnification if we want it. But, um, you know, I've been super impressed. You know, I, I've never really talked about the durability. For me, durability of a scope is is important. You know, when my truck or when my gun gets put in my truck in October, it stays in my truck all the way through, you know, the end of February, 1st of March. And, you know, that's beating it around, bouncing it around in my truck all the time when I'm out coyote hunting. And, you know, that's always the first thing that concerns me when I put on a new optic is how well will this scope hold its zero? Do I have to constantly be sighting this rifle in? Because, you know, when we're shooting coyotes, I don't want to have in the back of my mind that, oh my gosh, did, did the scope get knocked off? No. Um, when I'm shooting, I want that confidence in my scope. And I'll tell you what, you know, after I've been running, this is my second season running these scopes now, durability has been, been fantastic. I have not once had to recite in my scope um, because of, uh, it getting knocked off. So, um, you know, if you're in the market for something, you know, obviously, you know, it's not the high end. I think it's really important when you compare optics that you're comparing apples to apples, you know, I think this Sierra six, you know, BDX scope I'm running somewhere in the ballpark of about 1200 bucks, you know, yeah. Glass wise, it's not as good as a $3,000, $2,500 scope, even a $2,000 scope, but for the money, I'm telling you, it's, it's pretty dang good. Um, you know, so like I said, if you're in the market, looking to get something new, maybe, uh, whether, whether it's scope, maybe it's adding a red dot on 45 on your gun. Um, you can head over to their website, which is six hour.com. Go to the menu. You can drop, you can look at their optics, kind of see what everything they have to offer. But, uh, I tell you, you won't be disappointed, um, and, and appreciate all their support on this podcast. Now on X hunt, constantly using it all, all season long, whether I'm scouting, you know, I can sit on my couch, I can pull up satellite imagery, I can start to to study properties. I can look for new properties, 
places maybe where, hey, I need to go talk to this guy. I need to go knock on this door. Maybe he's a border, a neighbor of a bordering uh, property that I have permission on. I can I can talk to that landowner that I know, and, and then I have a name to say, hey, uh, do you know Bill that you're that's your neighbor to the north? And he may, and of course, he may have his number. Then I can get that number. I can call Bill, um, start talking to him about potentially getting um, on to hunt coyotes because I can tell you, land access is is the biggest thing when it comes to coyotes. Um, you know, you can't kill a hundred coyotes a year, 200, three, 400 coyotes a year on a limited amount of access. You need tons and tons of access to kill lots and lots of coyotes. So, you know, the last thing you want to do is have to be going out to the same spot over and over and over and over again, all season long. So using Onyx as a tool to scout, find access is extremely important. And then once I get access in there, you know, as I'm learning the layout of the land, you know, I'm tracking my route, I'm marking different spots, you know, with pins and things like that where potential stands are just a great place to store data, store notes, um, boy, anything that, that you can think of, you know, the sky's the limit really and how you want to use it. But I'm sure at this point, everybody's using probably some version of it. Maybe, maybe a competitor's version. Um, you know, I don't know. I'd tell you this Onyx is willing to sponsor coyote stuff, which is, you know, a hard sell at some point, you know, some guys don't want, some companies don't want to touch coyote hunting with a 10 foot pole. But, uh, you know, Onyx has been a great supporter of not only the podcast, they also support uh, The Last Stand as well. So, um, you know, if it's something you don't have, I would highly recommend it. Probably the easiest way now is just go to your app store on your phone and search Onyx Hunt. Um, but you can also go to their website, which is onyxmaps.com, and you can kind of look through some things, kind of see some different ways you can do it. But uh, as always, um, greatly appreciate their support. Um, but like I said, go to your app store, look up Onyx Hunt, and you can see uh, just how that can make you a better coyote hunter. Well, Bryce, appreciate you taking the time to join me on the podcast, man. Well, I I hope I enjoy it. It'll be good. I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Well, I know technically you're in your off season, but uh, probably not much of an off season. It's probably not much of a vacation, really, is it? Uh, it's not too bad. We'll get work out in the morning, throw in the morning, and then I get to go hunt in the afternoon and into the night. So usually try to be done by about eleven every night in bed by midnight so I can get some good sleep and get back up and do it all over again. That's pretty good. You know, I, I've always envisioned you guys, you know, as just, you know, what you do, you have to stay at such an elite level that even though everybody thinks it's, oh, they're off, you know, it's, it's the odd, like you're not really off. Right. I mean, it's constant. You're always working. It's granted. You have a little more free time, I guess, than probably in, uh, you know, the summer, but uh, yeah, still always yeah. work to be done. huh? Yeah, we do stuff, I guess. I got home this year in October, about two weeks earlier than we'd like to, kind of as you figured. But um, I get home, and that first month is kind of like, you know, just just working out. And then I started throwing again, I guess, just before Thanksgiving. And so once the throw-in starts, then you got to spend more time doing stuff. But about now, about January 1st, it's like, all right, holidays are over, Christmas, New Year's, you know, then it kind of picks up, and then it's like, you can go do what you want in the afternoon, but you also you're spending five, six, seven hours a day between working out and throwing and all the soft tissue work, getting getting feeling good and getting geared up, ready to go to spring training. So about this is about the time of year where things get very, very baseball oriented, you know, whereas before it was kind of I could go in and lift for, you know, two hours, kind of hang out, do some soft tissue if I'm sore or whatever, and then call it good and I'm done by noon every day. Whereas now I'm busy till, you know, two o'clock maybe. So more yeah, picked yeah. up now, but it's still it's still not too too bad. That's interesting. I you know, 
I, I, you know this, but you know, I, I know a guy by the name Anthony Goss. You know, he's a pitcher for the Cleveland yep. Guardians. Funny story, you know, I met him. He actually spends spends a lot of his winter out here in Western Nebraska at a duck hunting camp. <laughs> well, anyway, he just yeah. through my my you know work with our local baseball program he got a hold of me wanting a place to work out you know and just through talking to him i was like man you, yeah he would go duck hunting for like the morning but then or maybe the whole day but then he was in the in the gym all night long you know doing his throw yeah. routine working out you know and i'm like he's like yeah man he's like i can screw off a little bit but i gotta i gotta keep my number one uh, priority in mind yep no doubt that's how it is you can do what you want as long as you take care of your business and that what what's what's kind of cool is that looks different for everybody. You know, it's, it's kind of like anything, you know, you, each person figures out what they can do and what they can't do. Um, and it kind of sounds bad, but what they can get away with, you know, going on a trip, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you can't, you don't do anything, but it takes you this long to get back into it. So yeah, it's pretty cool how seeing different people, uh, kind of how they go about their business and, and how they get geared up, ready to go come, you know, middle of February and then the season starts beginning of April. So it's cool to see how everybody does it differently. When do you guys uh, head to spring training? February 13th is, 13th. Um, I guess I'll leave the 13th report days the 15th. So some guys go early, but I usually try to stay close to home as a pitcher, you know, as long as I'm throwing bullpens and I don't throw any live like batting practice before where I'm facing hitters. Yeah. Um, so I go down about right as late as I can, where some hitters go down early because, you know, it's important for them to see, pitching and stuff like that because you know that's a lot of it they spend all the spring training you know getting used to facing you know 92 to 100 mile an hour oh, yeah, you know yeah. so that's a little different animal for us as long as we're, our arms in shape it's easier for us to kind of get tuned up rather than them it takes a while so i go down just about as late as i can and you guys are in arizona right no we're in florida northport florida, oh you guys got hosed huh florida yeah i've always yeah. heard i've i've heard that that florida's not the ideal like is Arizona like the place that has the best, like where everybody wants to go, but. I think that deal is usually resolved by if you like golf, then Arizona is the place to be, which I do I play <laughs> a lot of golf during the season. Yeah. Yeah. But there's still some decent courses down there. You just got to drive to them. Whereas, you know, in the Phoenix area, it's all right there. You know, you can drive 10 minutes and there's 10 different golf courses. So yeah. I think that's a lot of it, but I also like going to the beach and we can, Usually we're done before games start. We're done by about noon every day. So we can go play golf or go to the beach or whatever. So I don't mind it. Um, but I think a lot of people do say Arizona is better. Well, it's definitely got better coyote hunting. That's for sure. A hundred percent. That's the <laughs> real, real reason I want to go head up north a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, is it just the pitchers that go golfing in the afternoon or the hitters and everybody go out there and, and swinging the sticks? In spring training, everybody goes um, throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, throughout the year, a lot of the guys on on, on the team, you know, they can kind of get away with. There a lot, a couple of them like like Matt Olson. He hits left handed, but he golf's right handed. Um, there's a couple guys like that, and a lot of the guys say it doesn't mess with their baseball swing too much. A lot of it is just once they get going, like they do so much in a day that. They don't, you know, you can't show up to the, you can't go play golf and then show up and play nine innings. And on top of that, you go play golf. Well, then you got early work and then you got BP and then you got meetings before the game, scout or scout meetings and stuff. And then you got the game. So their days, it's a completely different animal. When, when I started playing professional, professionally, I gained so much. It's not that I didn't have respect for them, but I gained so much more respect for those guys, position players who play every day. It's just, 
there's no break. Whereas for me, I get, you know, a couple of days where I'm still doing stuff, but mentally I can check out for most yeah, of the yeah. day, as long as I'm kind of locked in, you know, while I'm doing my stuff, but during the game, I ain't going to pitch. So I don't got to be locked in those guys every single day show up the field and got to be ready to go. So it's, yeah, it's pretty different. impressive what they do. You know, you always hear, you know, growing up, you know, I, I deal with youth baseball and you hear this from dads. Oh, you can't golf's going to screw up your baseball swing. You know, it's just common yeah. what you hear. Right. But yeah. then, but then like you see all this stuff and all these baseball players want to do is golf, <laughs> you know, it's like, so I'm like, really? Okay. Does it really mess it up? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I hadn't seen too many people that, that won't golf, but I've seen a few, I'll say that, but I don't know if you can get away with it. I guess why not? I'd try. Yeah. Yeah. It is unique. Like my, even my boys, like when our baseball season's over in the summer, that's all they do. The whole rest, like they all get together and they go golf. They're not very yeah. good at it because you yeah. know they suck at the short game. But they all—it's like that's what baseball players want to do, right? Is just go smash yeah. a golf ball as far as it'll go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then boy, they can hit it a long way. So yeah. the guys that like hit baseballs, golly, they can hit a golf ball a long way. <laughs> yeah, what is there that one uh, that one little viral video of Mike Trout sitting there at Top Golf and he. Yeah. smashes that ball <laughs> it looked like yeah. it go i don't know if it cleared the net or what he couldn't really see but <laughs> long way just the how fast they get that club moving is unbelievable the what gets me is how hard they swing a bat nobody realizes how heavy those bats are they're swinging until you pick it up and you're like oh my gosh they swing it like it's a toothpick and it's it's hey, yeah yeah I don't they do it <laughs> yeah because what are their but, bats probably 30 30 to 33 ounces probably depending on yeah. their length and stuff probably somewhere yeah, in there yeah Usually yeah. a lot of them swing like 33, 32s, 33. Some of the guys straight up 33, 33. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're pretty dang heavy. Yeah, it's like two-pounder, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of weight. So so I was doing a, you know, you know your big time when you're on Wikipedia, right? So I did a little I did a little research on, you know, <laughs> so speaking of golf, it, it sounds like golf was your path for a while, right? Before you kind of got yeah. into baseball. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I grew up playing baseball um, and, you know, the whole travel ball deal. It's I think it's way out of hand now, oh, 100%. Um, but there's, you know, there's a place for, you know, baseball is a game, especially when you're growing up. You can do all the lessons you want, but you ain't going to get better unless you're playing, you know. So that there's still a place for it, absolutely. But I was playing every summer, um, and, you know, we'd start, I guess it's not just summer, but we'd start in, you know, March and play till June. And I was on a kind of a local team that would still do travel ball, but not like it is now. Uh, we stayed around the Fort Worth, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth area. We'd go to Wichita Falls, and then we'd go to, you know, Dallas and Fort Worth and stuff. But one summer, I guess I was in sixth grade, I believe, fifth grade one of the two, and I played from the end of February to all the way to the end of August, and then I went right into school, and I was like, I do not like this, so I quit playing. And I never was very good at hitting, but I could always pitch pretty well. Um, and I was like, I'm tired of this. Well, when I quit playing baseball, one of my – or two of my really good buddies were way into golf. And so I was like, mm, I'll try to play golf. We have a little golf course over here in Decatur. Yeah. And um, so I started going over there. It's about – five minutes from my house so I I can go back way I would cut through on my ranger and go back there and I'd go play every day and I, I got where I really liked it I'm hanging out with my buddies and everything so I did that from I guess sixth grade all the way to freshman year and my freshman year I broke my arm so I didn't even get to pitch or hardly play baseball um 
But yeah, that's all I did. I, I was dead set. I wanted to go play college golf and that's how I wanted to, that's kind of the path I wanted to take. And then I got a new baseball coach my sophomore year and I talked to the previous coach and I said, Hey, I know I'm, you know, I'm afraid I'm at the end of my freshman year at the time. So, you know, I'm kind of nervous going to ask this, but I was like, Hey, is there any way next year I could play golf and baseball and just come do my throwing and do team defense and then leave? And the, the first coach was like, no, you either, you're either all in or you're all out. You're I was out like, all right, yeah. well, I'm out. So I was like, well, I'm not playing baseball. So I was dead set on golf, kept playing. Well, we got a new coach and, um, I went and asked him, I guess, probably middle of the fall because I needed to kind of know, you know, and I was like, hey, here's what I want to do. Is there any way you'll let me do it? He's, he didn't bat an eye. He said, absolutely. So my sophomore year, I started going in. I'd show up on time, do my throwing, do team defense, do whatever I needed to do, not outside of hitting. And uh, then I'd go to the golf course. Um, and so I did that my sophomore year. And then my junior year, he he came up to me and was like, hey, man, like, I think you could play college baseball. And I was like, well, I think I could play college golf. And I was I was good at golf, but I wasn't, you know, I, I was I was close to scratch. But, you know, those the golfers, you know, at big division ones, it's just a different animal. I mean, oh, yeah, nobody realizes how hard golf is one and nobody realizes how hard it is to get to that level. Um, well, then the spots, so like, right? Well, I mean, what is there like? eight guys on a college golf team eight and guys, you know, yeah. and they might That's have one opening that year to bring one guy in or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's tough. And so well, I was like, well, to what extent? And I trust this guy with everything. One of the best baseball coaches I ever had. His name's Brian to He actually doesn't even coach anymore, but he was like, man, I think he could play something like Texas tech. And I was like, hmm, well, they just went to college with series. So yeah. maybe I should listen to him. And so he was like, but if you do, you got to play summer ball this summer. And I was like, Ooh, I was like, well, I got golf tournaments planned and everything, got some vacations planned. He said, well, I'm going to give you this guy's number. You call him. I said, okay. So I call this guy and I go down, I guess, South Lake area. Um, It's a town in the Metroplex and um, through. And they're like, hey, man, we want you to be on the team. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, I got this golf tournament, this golf tournament, this golf tournament. I'm going to Destin for a week and I'm going to Tennessee for a few days with my girlfriend's family. And he was like, it doesn't matter. Show up when you can. Like sweet, so I started throwing. I got a couple of junior college offers, and I actually committed to play baseball at Howard Junior College out in West Texas. Um, and so I was set with that. I had a good senior year, and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm gonna. I committed, I guess, right before my senior year of baseball, and so I was like, well, I guess I'm gonna go do baseball. I kept playing golf, but um, I guess baseball was the route, and then I end up kind of completely just lucking into a place at Texas. I was grew up a Longhorn fan. Always wanted to go there. I would have went to Texas Tech. I thought I was going to go there. Um, I would have been happy to be a Red Ranger. I'm really glad I wasn't, but it, I would have been happy with it. But I end up they in Texas end up drafting like eleven guys the year before, and they had a little bit of money to give me, so they offered me twenty five percent scholarship. And shoot, me and my dad always talked about before I'd go there for five percent. So when they I gave did. me twenty five percent, I went there, and it just kind of kept going and. Now we're here. So it's kind of a crazy deal. Just, you know, just complete luck. You call it luck, I guess. You call it right place at the right time. You call Opportunity, it man. Grace of God or whatever. But it, it worked out and I quit playing golf and, and now we're here playing baseball. So it was it'd been a fun ride. So I've enjoyed it. What's it's unique about 
college baseball, you know, I, I know this is a coyote hunting podcast, but everybody knows me. I'm a baseball guy. That's like, you know, I love coaching baseball. So, you know, I'm in oh, yeah. tune with that, but you yeah. know, what people don't understand is that like a D one college baseball scholarship is nothing like a football scholarship or a basketball scholarship. There's really, it's really unheard of to have a full ride baseball scholarship, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I think it's only 11.7 scholarships and now they can kind of, you know, play ping pong with it or whatever with the whole NIL deal, you know, even though baseball players, you know, it's not like, you know, at Texas had B. John Robinson, that guy was making no time how much money or Arch Manning's making 3 million bucks. Nobody yeah. in baseball is going to do that, but you know, they still have the ability to kind of offset your costs at school and you can, you know, they can get you some money in your pocket to help you pay for stuff. So it's now, I don't know how it is, but I still think technically it's 11.7 scholarships and there's, 40 guys 26, in the roster. 40 or yeah, 40 now? Well, it's well, so it's 40, and I think you can carry 30 something. So oh. 40 on the total roster, but you can carry 30 something. And then in the big leagues, it is a 26 man 26. roster. 26. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 It's pretty wild. I, you know, that's why I was junior college, man. I'll tell you. Yeah. I told my boy, I'm like, he wants to go play college baseball at some point. I said, no, not discount the juco man no i mean that's like a no. full i think that probably is a full ride they get they have more scholarships and that's what yeah. i'm a firm believer people always ask me like oh like you know i got off from here i'm a big believer of like if you want to go somewhere don't don't ever make that not a possibility you know i, I see a lot of kids go to division twos and division threes and there's nothing wrong with that absolutely oh. the more like oh. if you play college sports in any any way that's it's a heck of a feat but I was a firm believer of I wanted to go to Texas. And so a junior college allows you to go for a couple of years and then end up where you want to be. So I always tell kids, go somewhere where you're going to play and it gives you opportunity to end up where you want to, because, you know, you're 18 years old. You never know what you're going to be like when you're 20, you go somewhere for two years. Oh, yeah. You might grow three more inches. You get stronger. You in a baseball, so, you know, may, you may throw 88 miles an hour. And then two years later, you throw 95, then you go wherever you want. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in junior colleges and kind of that's a heck of a path. If you want to take it, it's, I wouldn't discount them at all. No, hundred percent. So throughout this journey, obviously you spent time hunting during this, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Walk me through, walk me through kind of how you got into, into hunting. So I grew up, um, my dad would hunt, but it wasn't ever like the top of our list. We were always sports first. Um, and, I guess always kind of grew up deer hunting. We didn't have any family in or anything. I had like a, some land to hunt kind of down the, the, through my cousin, you know, whatever, you know, how you always just end up kind of having some places to hunt. I would yeah. deer hunt, but I never was a big, like, if I have a good deer, I'm still like this. If I have a good deer on camera, I'll hunt it hard, but I'm not just going to go sit in the cold and then a tree stand when I have a, you know, a seven point that ain't even legal to shoot. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like, I was always that way. So I hated going down there when I didn't have anything on camera just to sit, you know, I like being out there, but I wouldn't do that. So then we started duck hunting out there. We had a good duck hole. So we had duck hunt. And then I guess probably 2019, I think it was, I don't know. I found, um, I know you're a lucky duck guy, but I found the Fox pro show on yeah. YouTube and I started watching, you know, Al Morris and all those guys running around hunting I'd watch them and I was like, okay, this is something I could get into. You know, they're going from stand to stand. And then I start watching more. I end up watching you guys. Um, I watched all the coyote hunting shows on YouTube, every one of them, I think. There's probably some I hadn't, but I started watching all the videos and was like, okay, like this is 
pretty dang cool. It's quick. You're in and out. You go make, you know, 15, 20 minute stand, you go to the next place. And so I started kind of getting into coyote hunting. Um, and then, you know, cause here it's different, you know, in North Texas, it's small, it's small blocks of woods with some wheat yep. fields, but it's nothing like, you know, the rolling plains or even Southern Colorado or Eastern Colorado, nothing like that. And so, but you can still kill quite a few cows. We have a lot of them here. Um, but I started watching all the videos, gotten way interested in it, was all about it, did it as much as I could. And then COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, it was just like, that's all you could do. I would work out yeah, every yeah. morning and then it's like, you sit there, everything's closed down. So all we did was hunt. So then we started, you know, we, we got me and my buddy get together. We have about 7,000 acres we can hunt around here, um, that we hog and coyote hunt and, so we just did that. That's all we did. Well, my buddy has some family land up in Kansas. And it, I remember like it was yesterday. It's the one that got me hooked. I went up there and we didn't have a clue what was going on. I didn't know nothing about coyote hunting other than you better look downwind. That's where they're going to yeah. end up. If you can figure out how to get covered up where the sun's at your back and you're not skyline, that's the best you can do and hit a call. That's all I knew. And I, I got a Primo's hand call, one of the little raspy jacks, and I hit it. And it wasn't five minutes, and we had a double come in. And we shot. I actually missed mine. He dropped his. But it happened so quick, I didn't know what happened. And I was hooked from then on. And so that's all I do from, I guess, the past four years in the off season. When I get a chance, daytime coyote hunting, is that's my favorite. So back when you used to deer hunt, did you ever shoot any coyotes just like uh, sitting in the stand and here come a coyote trotting by? Or were you one of those hunters nope. where they're like, no, we're not shooting anything. We don't want to spook off the deer. No, I would. I would. We mainly shot hogs because hogs are the bigger issue because, you know, hogs, I mean, people think they're dumb. And that's still I probably hunt hogs more than I hunt. I night hunt more than anything, even though yeah. my favorite day coyote hunting, night hunting with thermals is what I do most um but no i was i'm still like that if if i if i had a 170 on camera yeah i'd probably hold tight maybe on the shooting if i know he's close but other than that i'll i'll let it rip hogs coyotes whatever um but yeah no i, I never i think i didn't kill a coyote till probably 2018 maybe 2019 yeah what was we have yeah, a do you remember your first the first called in coyote um that you that you act that you got to kill was it during that kansas trip or was it a little bit before I think that it we was. Started? I, i'd killed some at night with my buddy with thermals um but the first daytime one as far as going in completely setting up making a stand yeah i think that was the first one during covid i killed one we have a place out here where i live and um it's 1800 acres of straight wheat field it's cattle you know they run yeah. cattle operation out there so what we do is on, on cold days especially when it's overcast, we'll just drive up and down the roads, the cattle roads, and we'll use our thermals and scan, and we'll see them donut it up, you know, probably 300 yards downwind of them cows. And so, laid up out in the winter wheat? Yep, Curled just up. laid yep. up. Yeah. And so we, we find them, and we look through binos, okay, that's a cow, and we figure out if we can shoot them or how we're going to need to put a stock on them just a little bit, you know, at least to get in maybe 300 yards to get a good shot. Um and that was, I think that was the first one I killed. It might have been 2018 or 2019. I'm not sure, but it was wind was howling, north wind. It was cold, and he was donutted up. And we got into about 250 yards and got set up and everything. And I shot him. He never even raised his head up or nothing. Shot him donutted. Um, so I think that was the first daytime coyote I killed. But the first setup and stand was in Kansas. 
That's unique you say that because, I mean, that is a technique that guys use to kill coyotes, right? I mean, we don't always call them in. It's There's a lot of different ways to kill coyotes, right? That's a technique you hear of a lot of guys doing like in eastern South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, where where they get those big flat farm country, you know, with a road every mile. And they yep. spot them laying up on snow drift. Up there is obviously a lot more snow, but they yes. do that a lot. I've, I've never heard of guys doing that down in, in the Texas country. That's That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorites, just because you see them and you know it's a coyote. And I just like watching coyotes. And, you know, well, I was actually hunting two days ago. It got real cold. Actually, uh, shoot, no, that was yesterday. It got real cold down here. It's been, I think it's, it got down to eight the past couple nights. And we co- went yesterday and made a set, and it was winds howling. And we called in two. And it was, you know how it is. You know, one they, when they come in separate, it's always just absolute conniption. You know, it always <laughs> is. You know, they come in in a pair, you know, you can at least watch them. Well, we had one come from the left, and we're watching him. He's creeping in, been perfect. Well, next thing you know, my buddy says, there's one out by the call. So I go to move, and, you know, they see us, and they kind oh, of yeah. trot off. And we, we didn't even kill one. But I just like going out and just like seeing them. You know, even looking at them through binos, just getting to watch them. Because they're so, I mean, it's a dog. They're so smart. And just yeah, yeah. You see kind of how they move and everything. That's that's what I like watching cows, even when they're not being called, just because you, you get to see kind of how they do things and how they go about it. And that's what I really like about day hunting is you can see it all. Whereas at night, you know, you just see, oh, it's a cow in a thermal. But no, in the day, you can really see what's going on. I'm the same way, you know, I, I like the thermal stuff. I've talked about it on here, but man, day hunting, it's like thermal almost. It's weird. Like you're looking in this screen and it's it's almost like you you don't, it's not real almost right like no, it's, it's just like a video game yeah it's and then it's not it's never real until i walk up and hit my light on it i'm like oh yeah that really was a real coyote you know it's kind of it's just yeah. it's just a different feeling you know i know there's guys that do that all the time but for for guys that don't do it a lot it is kind of a weird yeah deal you know but so over the last like two or three years of, of you doing this i mean how much are you saying in the winter you know obviously you're doing a lot of stuff you know just in the last couple of years obviously playing you know professionally uh, did you get a chance while you're in college to hunt quite a bit during during the winters? You know, not just the COVID year, but a little bit before that and things. Yeah, yeah, I started. Um, you know, because even you know in college, you know, you got the summer off, you play summer ball, but you come back, you know, middle of July, and then you got winter break. And um, I would do the same. Then I would hunt all Christmas break and hunt even during the summer. Um, I know coyote hunting is kind of in the summer but it's the only time i could do it oh yeah and so that's what we did and so we hit it pretty hard um during both those times but yeah all through college i did it and then and then once i started playing professionally then it just kind of took off more because you know i'm home three and a half months instead of you know one month in the winter so you can do it as soon as i get home all the way till i leave yeah yeah what's been the biggest challenge i mean you know you i would have i'm assuming that you're you know, would probably still consider yourself, you know, somewhat of a beginner, I guess, in coyote hunting, you know, having only done it for three or four years and stuff. What do you think has been the biggest challenge up to this point that you're like, damn, I got to I just can't seem to get this figured out with these damn coyotes. You know, has there been something that's just been like, you've been just scratching your head, like, damn, I can't figure this out. I want to try to get better, but you know, it's just not, not happening the way I think it should. The thing that, that, I mean, and I don't know, I think this is probably an issue for everybody is, and I think a lot of this, and I was thinking about this yesterday because our setup wasn't ideal. And I think my biggest issue with coyote hunting is not 
getting in a position that allows you to like everything has to go perfect most of the time for me to kill one. So like setup obviously is almost everything. Cause if they can yep. see you, it doesn't matter how hungry they are, what kind of call you play. If they're coming in, they see you, they're probably out, you know, unless they've yep. never seen a human, never nothing. But here we got, you know, oh, yeah. feed trucks going up down the road, people shooting at them out of the truck. So even though they may not be educated to a call, if you will, but they're still around humans. So they know what danger is. And so it never fails. I'm not set up in the best situation, whether, you know, the, like the other day this, or yesterday, the sun was in our face. And so like, it never fails. My setup is just a touch off to where if they come in at a certain angle, I'm out of the game. Whereas if they come in at that perfect angle, it's guaranteed kill. But yep. I think overall the setup and just kind of the, the planning of it is what I always, what always gets me in trouble. You know, I get coyotes in, but it's a matter of, of getting them to hold up right in this spot to get a shot, you know? And I think that's the thing that always gets me. I see a lot of cows. I get a lot of cows in, but I don't all, I, I don't kill as many cows as I should because something seems to always, not always, but you know, 50% of the time goes wrong where, where I think some of it is avoidable just because, and you know, you see setups and I think, okay, I'm behind this, you know, behind this cedar tree right here, but you go down the hill after you, the cow ran off and you look up and you're like, dang, I wasn't near as covered as I could have been, you know, or, yep. but that, that probably is the biggest, the biggest thing that, that gets me is set up and being hidden and stuff like that. We can get in good. We can get the call set up. Nothing knows we're there, but when they're coming in, something always seems to go wrong when it does. And that's what it is. They see us or we move or something like that. And I think they're just, you, you never discredit them with how smart they are. But every time I leave a stand, I'm like, dang, them suckers are smart. Every time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's 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 a very good point. I mean, I hear that a lot from guys. It, it's very hard. The, the thing about coyote hunting is, especially when it comes to setting up a coyote stand, really there's no other hunting that's relatable to it, right? No. Like, no matter what else you do, it doesn't prepare you to set up a coyote stand. You know, like you talked about, the visibility aspect of it, keeping track of exactly where the wind's going. I mean, there's no relation to that setting up a deer stand, right? That I mean, it's just different, you know? <laughs> turkeys it's different ducks i mean everything is just completely different so i think that's where where guys struggle no matter how much hunting that you've done of other things it just doesn't translate you know so and then another thing too is how do you learn right how do you learn how to make your setups better you have to experience a coyote running in and screwing you over and then understand yeah. why and that doesn't happen all the time so you may only go out and make four or five stands well if you only call in one coyote and that happens well you only had one opportunity to learn from that right so it takes a long time to just figure it out you know yeah. and and you made a good point too as far as trying to get everything perfect i think a lot of guys try to get everything perfect but the reality is you can't i mean like you yeah. talked about you you obviously were, were keeping track of the wind which is the number one priority but in order to have the wind in a favorable direction, guess what? The sun was shining on you, right? Yep. And it happens, yep. right? So you got to give up one or the other. Well, you know, give up the sun, you know, but sometimes it's on you. You can't do anything about it. And and really, when I talk about setups, the manipulation of the e-call is really where you can take an unfavorable stand and make it yep. eh, borderline favorable. Just because, you know, I can take that sound now and I can put it anywhere out in front. Yeah. And now the coyotes aren't looking at me, you know, and, and I can kind of almost mold things. You know, we understand that the coyote's going to come right to the call or a little bit downwind. Mm -hmm. 
And then I can say, okay, what if we put that off to the side a little bit like this, you know, I talk about the line of sight, you know, anytime a coyote shows up, if it's, if it's the coyote, the call and you all in a straight line, <laughs> digs no up good. usually, I mean, he, he's going to peg you, you know, but if somehow you can offset that and make an educated guess on where that coyote's going to come from. And all of a sudden it's, it's the coyote and the call in, in that line of vision, you're not in it. Hey, you're sitting pretty good, you know? So that's what, and that's what I love doing. I love manipulating stands like to say, all right, this ain't very good, but if we can get a coyote killed on this stand, like, damn, we outsmarted this sucker because yeah, it's not always favorable. <laughs> it, no. It, that's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, and that's what, with that stand yesterday, where we got in trouble was, was I got to where, and tell me if I'm wrong here, because I'd like to learn from you, but yes. we had it set up, heavy north wind. We were sitting on the west side, and the wind was going right to left, and we had the call set up kind of, if we're looking straight to the east, with a crosswind right to the left, we had the, the call set up at about uh, two o'clock ish, about okay. 70 yards from us. And kind so we up had on a the upwind half, upwind half then. Yes. Yes. Yep. On, the, on yep. the north side. And yep. we had, the, we had one coyote come from down left um, about 10 o'clock and nine 30, 10 yep. o'clock. Yep. Perfect. Well, where we got screwed was, was that one that came out that my buddy said, Hey, there's one by the call. He came out 12 o'clock right or i say 12 o'clock i right about two o'clock in line with the call so all in saw line, us. yeah and then that other coyote that was coming from the left that we had set up saw the other coyote kind of get weird and then they both rolled out so we had one good that would have been perfect we shot him at 80 yards and then that other one screwed us but that's how i try to i like crosswinds i know that yeah just just because it's easy to see downwind side when I so many times I've got up and there's a coyote you know over my left shoulder and he didn't catch our wind yet but that's where he was ending up and we weren't prepared for it and that's I've learned a lot with with the whole manipulating where the e-collar is and stuff you yeah move yeah it. and that's where I've learned a lot over the years especially at night how we do it it's, that's where I really learned it um just seeing how they come in because you know you're, you're calling a lot more coyotes and even though you can't see them at night you still you can see them as they're coming and you can move and watch them and everything without them seeing you so that's where i've learned a lot of that but yeah no they're every time you just you kind can't cover you guys have this, would you, were you guys sitting in like a little tree row or fence line or what what were you guys kind we were of sitting up on in? this hill uh, probably 30 foot up above them um or above the call and we were in this like mesquite kind of uh, cedar thicket kind of tucked back up into it but the sun was right on us that we we were just lit up yeah so, yeah you yeah. guys don't sit in those big tall chairs do you well down that country that, or do the way you a the bit? Hill, we try to but the yeah. way the hill was set up we couldn't if we uh, we were worried if we sat down if they come in hot we would lose them and so, we to, the yeah, so we stood up and so I don't know. Like, like you said, you can't ever prepare for it. It's a learning curve every time. And I mean, we learned something yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, if I was going to set that up, it would probably be pretty similar. You know, it's not, I don't always set the call if, if, if it's crosswind stand, I don't always set it on the upwind half of the stand there. Sometimes I do set it on the downwind half. If I think the coyotes are probably going to show up from the upwind half, you know, because then that offsets that angle that they're looking, you know, yeah. But even then, that's a guess, you know, like you said, you know, I don't know if that's it. When you sat down on that stand, where did you think the coyotes were going to come from when you set that up? I thought you, they were going to come from down here in the left, just like just like that one did. Yeah, so you had it set up perfect and for so that And so when coyote. that one came, you we were like, perfect. And then that one screwed us right quick. 
nailed us. Uh, yeah. how, how close did that uh, that left one get in before he boogered out from the other one? He's probably 125 yards, easily shootable. And I'm like, this is where I get in trouble too. My buddy that I hunt with is way more trigger happy than me, not to a point yeah. where it's like, yeah. dang, why'd you shoot that quick? But I like – I like seeing them come in. If they're hard oh, yeah. charging, I'm all for stopping them, shooting them. But, you know, if they're running 15 yards, looking around, running 15 more, kind of posting up behind a tree, then coming a little more. See, I like seeing them how close you can get. Obviously, we're not going to let them get to 30 yards because, you know, we just – then they're really going to see you. But yeah, yeah. He, he was probably at 125 yards, and I thought he was going to keep coming. I think he would have, um, but that other one messes up. But, yeah, I like I like letting them slow roll in and just kind of watching them, see what they do, and then when they stop, get a good shot on them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the way I am. I like to – I like to be a little patient. It screws you every now and then. You get a little bit yeah. too patient, you know, a little bit too confident that, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're like, damn, you know, we do that filming a lot. You know, when we're filming for the show, we always, we always try to err on the side of patience just because we get that many yeah. more seconds of footage of this coyote. And it screws us every now and then. But when it works out, man, you get some pretty cool it's stuff. I mean, you get best. to see some things. Being patient and just letting coyotes work. You, you learn a lot. I think you learn a lot more than, you know, shooting the coyote the first time they stop at 200 yards, you know, letting them work a little bit, getting them in closer, you know, chances for another coyote to maybe show up. And all of a sudden now you got two of them working right at the call yeah. and you can maybe get a double a little bit easier. Yeah. Patience, you know, that's a huge attribute to a good, good predator hunter for sure. Yeah. 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 And that's what I've learned over the years is, or I guess over the years, it hadn't been too long, you know, four or five years, but yeah. That's what I figured out, you know, always I'd rather see what they're going to do, even if they kind of end up turning out of there. You still at least get a shot. Whereas if you try to pump them at 200 and miss or something, you know, they're out of town. Yeah. yeah Whereas, yeah. you know, under, you get you have some options, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Out, uh, do you end up calling in a few bobcats from time to time? I'm sure you have some of those in your country. Yeah, right? yeah we do. I killed. So during COVID, I killed two in the same exact spot. And um you know, they were, I mean, one of them was pretty good. I, I think I've killed three. And then I killed one good one at my buddy's place. We had a coat right, you know, he's got a little, like, I guess it's a barn dominion. It's a, it's a little cabin deal, but it looks like a barn, you know, and we were in there one night hanging out and this coat just ripped off. I mean, I mean, probably a hundred yards from us. And I was like, Oh, we got to go try to kill this thing. So we go set up and everything and start, he starts barking and that's another thing. I don't know about you. I don't, I'm probably doing something wrong. If I hear a coyote barking at me, I might as well load up and get in the truck and leave. Because oh, yeah. They ain't coming in. No. And so this one's barking and everything and howling. And so I started, you know, messing with the cause. Like, this thing ain't coming in. So I started messing around, playing some challenge, you know, howls and stuff like that. And he's, I have it videoed on my phone uh, somewhere of him, me howling and then barking and then howling and him barking back. It was pretty cool. Well, next thing you know, I mean, we're howling. We're not playing any distress, nothing. And we see something kind of cruising up. And I was like, oh, I wonder if there's this coyote coming to check it out. Well, I start kind of looking at it. And I was like, I don't know if that's a coyote. It was for sure some sort of predator, you know, kind of the way he was coming in. And so I was like, I'm going to shoot it. So I shoot it. This bobcat, kind of like I was leaning towards the way he was <laughs> just kind of walking in. And it was pretty dang good bobcat. And I'm, I mean, it wasn't just an absolute stud, but by far better than the other two I'd killed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I got him, you know, wind out and stuff, but I killed three of them. And then now I'm kind of the point where like, I just, I don't have any interest in killing them because if they're there and you can get them coming in, 
they're just so stupid once you get them coming in that it's like <laughs> I, kind of yeah. I had one I got a video on my thermal the other night me and my brother were hunting and I literally it's a young bobcat that's why I really didn't shoot him but he comes all the way up we see him out there mousing around call him all the way in and he sits there at the call he just sits down I'm talking two feet from the call just sitting there looking at it kind of moving his head around and then he goes up and he licks the call and then he just kind of just moseys on off. And so I don't, I don't shoot him anymore. We saw one the other night. Um, but no, I think, I mean, they're fun to shoot. That's for sure. And day scope probably different, but at night we don't shoot them. You know, that's interesting. You say that because there's, there's parts of the country that don't have a lot of bobcats and it seems like coyote hunters in there, like they want to kill a bobcat, right? Like, you know, they get tired of shooting coyotes. And then when you get in areas where they have lots of bobcats, guys are exactly like you. They're like, man, these things are so dumb. I just get tired of shooting them, you know, yeah. because, um, yeah, it's interesting that, uh, yeah, those, those bobcats. Yeah. I always thought they were smart. You know, you think a cat, you know, pretty, pretty smart, pretty stealthy. Yeah, yeah. If you get one of those things coming in, hey, well, back in 2020, when I called them two in the same spot right across from my house, right over here, I was like, dang, you know, like, I must be getting good. These bobcats are coming in here, and little did I know. They just come in on a string if you get them coming. But I learned that real quick. Coyotes aren't even anything like that. They'll bust you before you can even see them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not even a close second, you know, as far as the – yeah. I, I think I would I would assume if you just took, like, a, a hunting skill level, right? Like, a, a bobcat's probably a more skilled hunter than a coyote. Yeah. I would guess, right? Just the way that they, they stock and stealthy, and yeah. but yeah, when it comes to calling them, they're just like, yeah, I just see, they're pretty damn dumb. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> uh, uh, what rifle are you shooting? I shoot Nowadays. during the day. I shoot a um, Christensen twenty-two fifty. Okay. Um, I started, I guess, doing my own hand loads and everything. I guess yeah. two years ago. Um, so I do those, I mess around. I don't do any long range shooting, but I like load them up. See how tight you can get a group at a hundred. I don't ever go, but any more than uh -huh. that, but I load for that gun. And then me and my buddy that I hunt with all the time, just got some, um, I guess 20, very beginning of 2022. We got, um, I'd never, you know, you know, getting into rifles growing up, you always just shoot a rim at 700, you know? And yeah. Yeah. What you do. And then I, you know, one thing I do during the season is I just sit in my apartment and just, watch youtube videos and you know you just like anything there's a rabbit hole to anything coyote yeah, yeah. rifles shooting whatever well i got into you know reading about all you know they make these custom rifles that you know are supposed to be all top notch and everything so i got oh, a custom yeah. rifle built and that's a six millimeter creedmoor oh um, yeah six creedmoor yeah yeah and i i really like that gun i shot a mule deer with it this year out in west texas um but it does i really like it because you know around here that's all i need I, I hadn't i hadn't been elk hunting in my life and so i can kill deer with it i can kill hogs with it i can shoot coyotes with it you can do anything with it that's it's a i really enjoy that gun what bullet um, are you shooting but, out of that gun uh, 105 burger so you shoot a little bigger one yeah 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 you yeah, know i've shot still. nothing but ar since 2004 i'm gonna i'm gonna go up and, and fall wolves next fall with Tyler Knelson up in Northern Alberta. So problem is you can't take an AR, right? So like I'm yeah. a bolt gun in my hand is like very awkward. Like I have no clue yeah. what I'm going to do with it. Right. So I'm like, but I got to take one because you can't take ARs, can't take suppressors. So I got to looking at ballistics and, you know, when it comes to running shots and, uh, you know, Kentucky windage holds and that kind of stuff, you know, 
I've shot this 223 for so long. I'm like, man, I got to find me a, a cartridge that is very similar to this two, the 53 grain VMAX I shoot in the 223. And after doing some research, the 87 grain VMAX out of that six Creedmoor ballistically, as far as muzzle velocities and everything, is like almost identical to this, to this 53 grain VMAX. And I'm like, perfect. Cause I wanted a little bit bigger. If I was like, if I, I wouldn't have a problem shooting a wolf with a 53 grain. There's, I'm sure there's some people that argue with me, but I mean, I've killed antelope with that. I mean, I've killed yes. deer with it, you know, but I'm like, well, if I got to get something bigger anyway, why not? I'll shoot that. That'll anchor a wolf easy, you know? So I'm like, yeah. hell yeah. So, so yeah, six yeah. Creed more. That was kind of the first yeah, bolt no, that I bought in 20 years was, was a six Creed. So. Yeah. My buddy loaded up some 87 grain V maxes and they, they get after it. They're good. Oh man. Good. When my, my boys have used it this, I haven't shot it yet. This, my boys have been shooting it and they've shot some coyotes. And I'll tell you the, the whack of the bullet compared mm -hmm. to a 223 of that. It sounds yeah. like it's twice as loud. I think the one yeah. when, yeah. when they whack no a doubt. coyote with that 87 grain, man. It sounds so good. <laughs> At night, um, we run ARs and I shoot a 65 Grendel. Okay. And, you know, I've over the years, I've talked to people about them and a lot of people don't like them. But when you're, when I'm running thermal, I shoot 123 grain SST Hornady out of there, and inside of 200 yards, you can't beat it. It's light and it's slow, but golly, it dumps those hogs and those coyotes up at night up close. Golly, it does. Yeah, good. yeah. That's, that's the one I shoot the most, just because we're night hunting majority of the time. But I love that gun. But yeah, 22250 is what. If I'm just gonna go make a stand, I take 22250. Oh yeah, yeah. It's hard to beat the 22250. If I was yeah. gonna shoot a bolt gun for coyotes, that's probably what I would shoot. Would be a 22250 for sure. Yeah. What, yeah. what thermal? What thermals? You've been experimenting with some different thermals. Been messing around with that. Yeah. So I started out the first one I ever got. You know, I was in. I think I just got maybe just before. Maybe right as I was in college. I got a, um, you know, I convinced my dad that he was going to use it too. And we went in halvesies on a pole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he, uh, well, I used that for a while. And my buddy that I hunt with all the time has the, I guess it's been out for years now, the Mark II 35 millimeter Trigicon. Oh yeah. Yep. That's and what so I had. he had that. And so, you know, with a thermal, the more you look through them, no matter what kind of thermal you have, you get where you can ID stuff better and see things. Well, how we hunt at night is we drive around on county roads. We have a big lap. We make kind of, we go out north of town and work out to the west of town. And we'll just drive up and down county roads and scan on properties we have permission on. If we see stuff, we pull over, open the gate real quietly, get in there and, and go kill them. Yeah, yeah. And so I got looking through his Trigicon. I was like, dang. I think Pulsar's gotten better. I looked through one the other night and it was actually pretty good, but that Trigicon, you just can't beat it. And so it's got that certain whatever core in it. Um, and so I end up selling my Pulsar, getting a Mark three thirty five millimeter Trigicon. And I had that. And then I found a deal uh, with an Envision guy. And he's okay. a, yep. He just runs a gun shop and he had a, you know, I think a deal, but um, Envision, I said deal. It's probably hundred bucks off or something, but he sold me on it. So I got it and it's very similar to the Trigicon, but man, those two, they have the same core. They're almost like identical scopes. I think supposedly the, the research I've done on the, on the Envision, the geranium lens up front, I think, uh, has a little bit lower aperture. Um, and so you can stuff lights up a little bit more and it is a little bit clearer than the Trigicon, but I have both of them still. I have the Trigicon. Uh, Mark 335 millimeter and then the Envision Halo 35 millimeter. Um, and the Envision have the LRF in it? It does not. It no. does not. 
I'm a, you know, I think that there's a place for that, but the hunting we do, we're never shooting over 200 yards and yeah, yeah. the places we hunt, you know, it's not like where you guys are hunting where you might have to, you know, you're out in an open field and, you know, you can see, you know, you probably can, with a thermal, you can probably see about 1500 yards, 2000 yards, but you know, you can see 10 miles for us, we're hunting the same few thousand acres every night. So, I mean, I can walk up at night and tell you, somebody's looking through my thermal and say, Hey, how far is that tree line? Oh, it's 800 yards. Like we just yeah, know, yeah. So we don't, there, there's no need for us to have a range yep. finder just because we're so familiar with the territory we run. Um, but no, them, them two thermals I got, they're, they're hard to beat. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's amazing to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to have competition, right? I think you, you mentioned it, you know, Pulsar stuff is, is getting better. You know, they got some of that 10, 1024 resolution stuff now kind of yeah. match that IRA that, well, what is it? 1080. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I love it that there's competition that these companies are pushing each other to, to, to get yeah. better. Obviously prices are going to drop for everybody. I don't know if it'll ever be completely affordable for <laughs> the average yeah. guy. Yeah. I mean, this stuff's getting crazy, but, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I look through it too and I'm like, Holy crap. You know, some of this stuff yeah. is like, damn. You know, and you show yeah. somebody the first time and they look through it and they're like, whoa, wow, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, like you said, I think it's really good. You know, companies keep coming out with stuff. Um, but my deal is I could never, you know, justify the $6,500, $7,000 thermal scope, but then I got to where I could hunt so much. So I was like, okay, it's worth it. If I'm going out four nights a week at minimum, it's worth having it because I'm going to, you know, see so much more, so many more pigs or so many more cows that it's worth it to me. Whereas if I was hunting once a month, I wouldn't have one, but if you're hunting a lot, I think it's a no brainer, you know? Well, you had to reward yourself for making it to the big leagues, man. You know, well, I don't know. If Nothing but the best. That's what you say. Hey, I can afford a thermal now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got, got to keep my priorities right. Yeah, I yeah that's right. Two, that's right. I had two thermals before I even bought a house, so but now we're good, so yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so early on you mentioned that, you know, being a pitcher, you know, that you – and you're a starting pitcher, right? So you're in that starting rotation. So you, you know, you're always constantly working, but you have days off, right? Like, so you find yourself just sitting in the dugout for the games, right? That, you know, you're, you're the guy when they show it on TV, just sitting over there in the hoodie, you know, you know, sitting over there in the corner, bullshitting with everybody, you know, seeing how many seeds and how many pieces of gum we can eat. And that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. How much, this is something when I talked to Anthony a lot, he was like, man, he's like, you'd be amazed at the number of baseball players that, that are hunters. I mean, is there, is, do you guys find yourself talking about hunting a lot in the dugout, like throughout the summer, like looking forward to the season and, or do you not have that many hunters, you know, on the team? So there's a couple guys that are interested on the Braves. Um, one of my good buddies who hunted a lot, he actually got traded to the, I guess the athletics Oakland. Um, but so the only guy besides me, there's a couple guys that do it from time to time, you know, they'll go on a hunting trip or whatever. They have buddies who hunt, so they'll go kill a deer, but really the only guy other than me that hunts hard, I guess AJ Minner hunts ducks, but that's about it. But Austin Riley hunts deer pretty hard. Um, he's buddies with all the real tree guys. He met them cause he's from Mississippi. They're from Mississippi. Yeah, so yeah. he, he does, he hunts, you know, back in the Delta back home quite a bit and he travels some to hunt. Um, but we talk about it sometime, but guys on the pitching staff, there's not too many hunters. I guess the ones from, uh, Spencer Strider's from Knoxville, Tennessee, Charlie Morton's from Florida. And so, and Max Reed's from LA. 
Um, so they don't they don't do much hunting, but I still talk about Damn. it. Charlie likes talking about it. Yeah, Char- Charlie really enjoys listening, but he doesn't. He doesn't he's only done a couple times in his life. He's just yeah. entertaining you. He's like, all right, yeah, yeah I'm gonna entertain Bryce and listen to his damn hunting yeah. stories. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's probably it. And then he just disappears. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I was just yeah. yeah I was like, yeah. I'm just curious. Like you, you know, you guys are in a position where. You know, you're kind of in the spotlight, obviously, with social media and just everything. So it seems like, you know, some guys are afraid to almost put hunting out there on onto their pages, yeah. right? Because of the average American sees it and they're like, oh, my God, how dare, you know, mm-hmm. it's is, is that kind of the norm? Like, you know, you I, I know you put some hunting pictures on your page, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. But, you know, it's almost like some guys don't even do it at all. Like, yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's, it's not, you know, it's pretty common that it's like that. Um, I think there's, you know, certain animals you can get away with. Um, deer, obviously, you know, people, you know, if you're trophy hunting deer or whatever, it's a deer, you know, people know and assume that you're going to, you know, eat a deer for the most yeah. part, you know, and then ducks, you know, it's kind of a ducks are pretty and stuff. So like it's picture worthy, but I don't, I, I usually, I posted the deer I killed, but I don't post a ton of the hogs and coyotes I kill because I don't, it's not that I am worried of what people are going to think. I don't think it's worth the headache if somebody yep. were to say something. Oh, and yeah, so 100%. I think that's a lot of it because I'll tell people straight up with the hogs that we shoot, we don't eat them. You know, they're tearing up a field and we're just trying to get rid of them for the farmer, you know? And yep. so we don't, we don't eat them. I'll, I'll be real honest when coyotes, you know, you, you obviously ain't going to eat them. You just, you know, so yeah, yeah. I, you know, I do a lot of killing and leave a lot laying and you know, that, that is kind of terrible, but I'll be honest. I'm not going to eat really. those. No. So it's, it's part of it. So yeah, that's yeah. why I don't post. I have a, like a little alternative page that I run just all my buddies follow. And oh, Cause yeah. they're always asking, what'd you kill or whatever. So I, I'll post on there and I'll just post anything on that. You know, yeah. all of them laid on a bed and coats we shot them in the head you know but i don't i don't post that stuff on my actual instagram and mainly because i will say if somebody's following me outside of my hometown they're following me because of baseball and i'll give exactly. them that point you know? it's like kind of like we were talking about the other day you know it's they're following me for baseball and i'm not going to ram hunting down their throat just yeah. because you know when so yeah. i just i made baseball posts and i posted that deer i killed out in west texas but other than that i don't, I don't post the kind of stuff on uh instagram of me just killing 20 hogs in a night and they're loaded up in the back of the truck so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah i see the same thing i told you i see the same thing you know i everybody follows me for coyote hunting i'll post something about my boys and baseball or whatever and i'll get like 10% of the likes, you know, and I'm yeah. like, all right, that's cool, man. That's fine. Follow me for the coyote hunting. I don't care, you know, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. No, I think that. So I think that's, I think that's the majority of it. They don't want to deal with it. If there was potential that was going to happen in one, I think they're just, they're followed, you know, because of baseball. So, yep. Oh, hundred percent. That's a lot of it. hundred percent. No, ch- no chance of ever getting a cunha out there to shoot some hogs with you, huh? I doubt no. it. I doubt it. <laughs> I wish that'd be a heck of a time, but oh yeah, yeah. But I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. The one, the one thing too, you know, with what I do, with you know, I have my lawn care business, and then baseball, and then I roll into coyote hunting. You know, 
you know, I'm, I'm always looking forward to the next season. Like right now, even though I still have another, you know, month and a half that I'll be hunting coyotes, you know, I've already found myself kind of starting to think about baseball and that kind of stuff. Do you find yourself about maybe July or August, or is it still all new to you where you're still kind of in it deep all the way? Or do you start finding yourself maybe September, October, like, man, you start to think about getting ready for certain hunts and, and things like that? Yeah, well, I've got to be honest, and this might sound bad. As soon as I go back, you know, it's kind of like anything. You want what you can't have, you know. So when we yeah, go yeah. back, you can't hunt. And so it's like I'll start with well, the hardest time for me not being able to hunt is in, like, very beginning of the season, like April. I'm like, oh, like I'm ready to go again, you know. And then it kind of dries up a little bit, June, July. When I come home for the All-Star break, I always go hunt with my buddy one night. Uh, and then start coming September because here, you know, in North Texas, it stays hot until October, you know, whereas in oh, Atlanta, yeah. even though it's kind of the same, I guess, what is it, latitude, longitude, whichever one's east to west, yeah. probably should know that, but it's it's on the same level, and but it gets it gets pretty chilly in Atlanta. Like, there's nights in September that it's, you know, 55 degrees, and so when that starts kicking up, I'm like, ooh, the weather's getting cold. It's about that time, but it never fails I'm really looking forward to hunting. I come home, I'm doing it all the time. And then about, oh, December, I'm like, hmm, baseball doesn't sound too bad right now. So I think it's just the never-ending cycle. I hope right. I can get to do it for a long time and it'll it'll be the same. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm full-time thinking about hunting kind of all year, probably more than I should because I can't. But it just yeah, ends yeah. up me sitting in my apartment watching videos and then buying something I think I need and then I never use it in the next season. So, but yeah, no, I think about it quite a bit. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years with the, with what I do with, you know, I, I couldn't imagine working like a job, you know, 365, you know, where you yeah. just, for me, I just love the anticipation. Always, always have something planned, you know, it just, I don't know. I, I like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then, and it always is changing, but that's what I like about baseball too, is every day it's different. Yeah. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pitch and I'm going to be on the mound and stuff like that. I'm going to, my routine's the same week to week and day to day, but every game's different. Every day's different. Same way with in the off season hunting. You never know what's going to happen. It's always different. I kind of like that. I I don't like the just the redundancy of all this over and over and over. So that's that's why I think both of them go hand in hand. You know, it's just different every day, which I really like. Oh yeah, Chipper Jones still come around quite a bit. You see him at yep, clubhouse. He does. He's he's yeah. big, he's big into hunting, isn't he? Yeah, he's a big bow hunter. Real yeah, big bow hunter. yeah. I think it had, doesn't he have, isn't he part of like major league bow hunter or something? Yeah. Did he used to have yeah. a show or part of a show or something like that? I remember. Yeah. He was, um, I think he did that major league bow hunter. And then I don't know. I don't know that he's like in with them, but I think he's on some of the, um, buck commander stuff. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's like a guest appearance, but yeah, he's always hunting. He killed a real good deer this year. Uh, deer nice. while the season was still going on in Georgia really good deer um but yeah i think he's strictly deer and i think he both i think he's the only bow hunting so but no he's he knows a lot about it he's been doing it a long time what about the other braves legends the pitching legend they come around maddox glavin those guys ever come around or they, they never huh they don't i guess glavin does um the kind of the braves i guess the what's it called you know commentating or whatever oh, yeah. the game the tv and then broadcast, smoltz, he's, yeah yeah smoltz is a smoltz ESPN does the whole yeah yeah, he does all of them. But Maddox is in L.A. and he just kind of lays low. I, his the guy who caught him in Atlanta, his name's Eddie Perez. He was with the Braves, or he still is, and he's kind of an assistant catching guy. Just kind of does it all. 
And I bothered him all year. I was like, hey, you think Maddox will talk to me on the phone? You think Maddox will talk to me on the phone? Yeah, and yeah. I bothered him. And he would say like, yeah, well, I'm going to see if he'll come to alumni weekend or whatever. And then we found out he wasn't. So Eddie was like, all right, I'll, I'll just give you his number. I, I'll, let me call him, make sure he's good with you. So he gave me his number. I called him and he picked up right off the rip. And I've talked to him, I guess, four or five times um, just about pitching. And just he's such a, I guess, an outlier, if you will, on how he did it and just how advanced he was. And so it's it's been really awesome to be able to talk to him and, and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty cool. So, Okay. Uh, what what's your fastball at? High nineties? No, no, no. See, I'm a lot like I say a lot like Maddox. I'm trying to be like Maddox. I, I throw like eighty nine to ninety two. And so you got a whole you got a bunch of pitches then. I have different four. Pit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four different ones, and I throw the same fastball. You know, the pitch Maddox is famous for the one that he throws into lefties and comes back. And yep, yep. Obviously, it's not that good, but I'm I'm trying to get there. But yeah, yeah so yeah. I, that's one. I'm so drawn to watch him and try to talk to him is because that's I pitch I try to pitch like him I pitch similar as far as you know keeping off balance and, and the ball moving rather than just blowing it by people because I don't I don't throw hard. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I always thought it'd be cool. Yeah. I'm like a bow. Like, what's a good bow going now? About three hundred or is it more than that now? Three hundred feet per second, like a good yeah. bow. Yeah. What would that be equivalent to from miles per hour? Like, like if you throw 90 miles an hour, is that the same? Is that faster or slower than an arrow coming out of a freaking bow? Oh, I think it's way slower. Way slower. What, what is it? What is there? 5280 feet? Yeah. Yeah. In a mile. Oh, yeah. that's a lot yeah. of conversion there. I yeah. have to get that's a lot. Have to get online that's for a that lot one. of math. I was going to say somebody with your accuracy with the baseball, it'd be pretty cool to see if we could call in a coyote sometime and watch you, you beam it with the baseball, right? Like yeah. just to see. If you <laughs> Maybe if you call it in, I can't ever get them in close enough to do that, but you might can. There we go. That's the next a viral video that uh, is going to sweep the internet, right? Bryce yeah. knocking a coyote silly with a baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, man, I don't want to take up more of your time, and I got a basketball game to, to roll out to, so I appreciate All you right. taking the time. No, thank you. I appreciate it. I had a good time. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I hope you enjoy the rest of rest of your off season. I guess you got what maybe three weeks left or so, something yeah, like that. Three and a half weeks. Yeah, three and a half, four weeks. So it's come getting getting here quick, but look forward to it. Well, heck yeah, man. Well, my boys and I'll be following you guys. That's the A or the the Braves are, are my boy, my middle boys. That's his favorite team. Ever since they won the World Series a few years ago, so I'm like he's just a bandwagon oh, yeah. Braves fan. But he's still he's still <laughs> holding true to that, you know. Even though we're out here in Nebraska, so yeah, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll get him another one. Heck yeah! What uh, what's what's your Instagram page? If anybody listening this wanted to follow along on your baseball journey, it is Bryce Barrowce underscore Elder thirteen. And you have the I verified. Be you have the verified sticker. Oh the yeah, I don't blue know. thing. I, I don't know if I'm verified, but I got that blue check. I know. I that. was going to ask you about that because I'm like, man, I, I'm starting to see these. I'm like, do I need to give Instagram like 15 bucks a month so I can get the little blue sticker? You know? Yeah. I don't. I don't. I had it. I guess. When did I get that? I think I got it right when I got drafted, um, and I think that was before you could pay for it and all that. Oh, um, dude, but you got the discounted rate. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know why they gave it to me. I think I had like 3,000 followers at the time, and I was in 
Rome, Georgia playing minor league ball, but I guess they, yeah, yeah. they, they gave it to me. So, um, but yeah, they did, but. Heck yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been fun. We'll get back on. Uh, I know you're going to be busy all the way till, but next season we'll get back on again. It'd be fun to kind of hear how your coyote journey's going. I think you're in the boat of a lot of guys that are listening that are kind of into it, you know, two, three, four, five years and are trying to learn and, and get better. So it'll be cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Look forward to it. But we're going to, I've got a month left. I'm going to keep trying to kill them and then we'll go play baseball for a while and get back to it in about nine months. Heck yeah. It'll be here before we know it. It happens quick. Golly, does it ever. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, you know, I really appreciate everybody's feedback on this podcast. It's your feedback that makes this the number one predatory podcast out there. So, uh, you know, if you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes, those five-star reviews, they go a long ways, you know, to helping out, uh, keep the sponsors interested. Like I said, the sponsors don't ever listen to these things. Uh, unfortunately, all they ever look at is the, the, uh, the reviews and the analytics and things like that. So all that goes a long way. So I appreciate that. Uh, but then obviously we can't do this without the sponsor. So need to thank them. Uh, we have Sig Sauer Optics, Swagger Bipods, Hornady, Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Silencer Central, Cryptech, and Onyx Hunt. And, of course, Eastman's uh, for putting this all together for you guys. Uh, if you're into the big game world, you know you can go over to their website, which is eastmans.com. Uh, you can check out their tag hub, their hub, their magazine subscriptions, everything else that they have to offer. So, once again, guys, I appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast.